Welcome to Mikey Pod Podcast, episode 317 for January 25th, 2021. Today's guest is composer Joseph C. Phillips Jr., and we'll be talking about his latest recording, The Greyland, a mono opera exploring universal themes of acceptance, authenticity, and identity centered around issues of race, class, and power in American society. This conversation is amazing. The music on Greyland is amazing. We'll talk. We'll talk about it. We've got a lot to get to. I'm your host, Michael Heron. I'm a composer, pianist, electronic musician, storyteller, and activist based in New York City. On this podcast, I have conversations with fellow creators who use their creativity to change the world. I've been sending this podcast to your ears for well over 15 years. If you like what you hear, subscribe using the colorful buttons in the sidebar and footer at MikeyPod.com or just search MikeyPod in your favorite podcast directory. If you'd like to know more about me, stop by my website at MichaelHeron.com. Hit me up on social media everywhere as at Michael Heron or email MikeyPod at gmail.com. Hello. It's such a relief to have a new president in office. Things are not perfect. We still have a lot of work to do. Everything isn't fixed. There's a reason things got like they did, and we need to keep looking at those reasons. That is my statement. How nice. We're still in a pandemic. There's still a lot of shit going down, but at least I don't have to be so terrified of the president. Um, yeah, that's, that's that. I've been doing these check-ins of like where we are in history. Um, the new president, Joe Biden was inaugurated last week and it happened without incident, which everyone's relieved myself included. Um, so yay. How nice. I mean, that is like, it feels good. Like a lot of these little timestamps I've been doing have had to do with civil unrest, pandemic, fire, famine, (laughs) riots, Um, It's nice to have one that I feel happier about. Um, I'm also excited to have some creative work done. Those of you who subscribe on Patreon, your zines will be going out in the mail today. And um, yay, so those should be going out. It's really nice sending those things out into the world. Um, While we're talking about Patreon, I would like to thank my new patrons, Ron, Ferris, and Scotty, for powering this podcast. Well, new patrons and the existing patrons power this podcast. These are people who subscribe for $5 or more a month and get special perks like tons of free downloads of my music and zines, bonus podcasts. There are over 60 bonus podcasts. I think this week's podcast will be the 61st or 62nd bonus podcast that you will have immediate access to all of these when you subscribe on Patreon, including a week this week's bonus episode, which features an extended conversation with today's guest, Joe. I, a longtime listener of the podcast, just referred this week <laughs> to these bonus podcasts as, quote, truly special to an insane degree. And uh, he also let me know that I've been saying the wrong year <laughs> for the past two episodes. So if you notice that, uh, my apologies. It's definitely 2021. And uh, that's everything. That's all I've got. We have um, Joe and I talked a lot. And also, I have a longer piece of music to start the interview with. You know, at first I was like, oh, I got to play a shorter one. And then I realized, wait, this is a podcast and it's my podcast. I can do whatever I want. (laughs) So if it's at all possible for you to do so while you're listening right now, this is uh, like a nearly 20-minute piece of music uh, from The Greyland, the mono opera that I mentioned before, composed by Joseph C. Phillips. It's uh, it's about Ferguson, the summer of 2014. That's the name of it, and that's what it's about. Um, if you can, it, stop what you're doing right now or you know, continue doing whatever it is you're doing that allows you to listen and really listen to the music you're about to hear. 
And after this, we'll have our interview with, uh, with Joseph C. Phillips, Jr.,
9th, 2014, 11.29 a.m., Officer Darren Wilson responds to a call, searching for a man who had threatened to kill a woman. 11.47 a.m., Officer Darren Wilson responds to a call, a two-month-old baby who can't breathe.
says 21 Put me on can fill with two And send me another car He moves his SUV to block Wilson and Johnson from proceeding 12.02 p.m. Some kind of altercation Brown's at the window of the car Wilson fires two shots from inside the car One misses, one grazes Brown's thumb 12.02 p.m. Michael Brown runs east 153 feet He turns, Wilson's weapon is drawn Brown moves towards Wilson 12.03 p.m. Wilson fires
from the album The Gray Land, that was Joseph C. Phillips Jr.'s Ferguson. Uh, and joining me now on the podcast is Joseph C. Phillips Jr. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Well, thank you for having me. Looking forward to the talk. Yeah, um, I'm so excited to talk to you. I discovered your work and I've been you know, listening and digging deeper and there's so much to talk about with this. Um, but before we do, can you give a little rundown of what the Greyland is? Uh, the Greyland is, is essentially uh, an opera, and I, I call it a mono-opera since it's really just one, well, technically there are two characters, but one who's actually singing. Um, and it's really a story of a mom and her son, and essentially it's um, their life or sort of a, a, a tapestry of their life in America being uh, as a black uh, woman and and a man. And it kind of uh, brings across various uh, points of, of whether it's uh, joy or the pain and suffering and the, the, uh, resilience in the face of oppression and police brutality. Um, so it has all of that in it. <laughs> and, but essentially it's, 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 it's an opera and, um, uh, and it's, it's treated as, I, you know, it's as, uh, a story about these two, two characters. Mm. And it's, and you've written the music and the libretto, like this is entirely your composition. I, I think that's an obvious statement, but I'm just throwing it out there for, for the sake of listeners. Um, yeah, yeah, no, the, 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 yeah, the story is, I, I created the story and, and most of the scenes are libretto either that I've written or um, I've used a, a couple of public source things, um, like there's a, a Supreme Court uh, dissent by so, uh, Sonia Sotomayor. And the one real track that I actually have, um, that I actually had someone write, like live, uh, a living writer, was uh, Isaac Butler. And I asked him to, to write something, and that was actually what we heard in, in Ferguson. Um, and he wrote the words to that. But the, the story, the concept, all of that is... Uh, the music that's all that's all me <laughs> mm. so since you mentioned ferguson and that and we all just listened to that um can you give a little bit of backstory about that piece how it came about i mean i mean there are obvious ties of course to historic <laughs> moments um but mm. but how, how did this piece come about well the, you know I, I actually kind of have to go back even further than that because the, when i started thinking about the opera was this was about 2011 somewhere in there and I was thinking about writing an opera and sort of to, to, um, uh, about the systemic uh, injustice and the struggles that many black and brown um, people uh, face in, in this country. And so I was, I was originally going to do an opera centered on Justice Clarence Thomas. Like he, well, it wasn't about him, but he was kind of the focal point to talk about all of these issues of race, class, power. Um, and so I was researching, you know, 2011 to about 2014, I was already in the process of researching, thinking about what the opera will be. And two things kind of happened in 2014. At the beginning of that year, um, my wife and I found out we were pregnant. Well, she was pregnant, but <laughs> we were going to have a, a child. And uh, we had been trying for years and years and had you know, miscarriages. So we were very, you know, like there was just like, is it going to 
is it going to stick? Are we going to be able to still, is this guy actually really happening? So, you know, there was all that kind of anxiety of, okay, what's, what are we going to be like as parents if it actually does happen? Um, so all through that year, as we were um, uh, in the process of, of having the, the child, um, you know, all those worries and, and fears came, came about. And then in the summer, that summer was Ferguson that had happened. So of course, <laughs> once that had happened, um, there was a lot of even more anxiety and like, what is, what are we bringing a child into this? I don't, I, it's, you know, this world just, it's, it's just very, especially as, as a black, um, male myself, you know, like what is, um, and our, ch- our child would, it was a mixed child. So we didn't know exactly what he would, how he would come out, you know, like looking. And um, so we were just very, very worried. And that got me thinking more about the opera itself um, that I was still researching. And so I kind of gradually changed the frame of from the, from being uh, Justice Clarence Thomas and kind of fo- focusing on themes around him and focusing on the systemic racism uh, and I kind of changed it to a, a mother and her son living in this in America. So I, I essentially talking about the same things that I was going to talk about with the, the first concept of the opera, but now I, I felt it was a little more, in many ways, personal. Now that I'm, I'm specifically talking about a mom and her son, and, and of course I not only was thinking about our soon-to-be child and his world and what he would grow up into. Well, we didn't know he was a boy or a girl. Actually, that's yeah. in the in the music. You hear that. We, we just we just we wanted to wait and find out. So, um, but what how he was going to grow up? What kind of world he was going to grow up into? But then also, you know, I, I was thinking about my life and my mom. You know, my single mom and uh, raising uh, her three kids. And so, you know, I, all of that kind of made me think about Ferguson itself, the the, the protest and the things that are around it made me think more about reframing the opera. And uh, once that, once that had happened, once I really had that concept of, okay, it's going to be this, then things kind of started to fall into place um, with a lot of the other parts of the opera. Um, and then it was just kind of creating the, the overall um, story and then how those sort of components, other components, other scenes would fit into the larger story of this, of a mom and her son and how they, how they're living and how they're seen in in America. One of the things that's really striking to me about the piece also shouldn't be, and that's why it's so striking, is that this subject matter isn't really covered in classical music broadly, you know, like in, it, it underscores how Caucasian classical music is. Um, I don't know where I was even going with making that statement, except for the fact like, it's, I guess it's a weird question to ask because obviously you're a composer, so you compose music. Um, but, mm-hmm. but what is that like, I guess, breaking that, that, that tradition of this white-centered world? Does that question make any sense at all? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally understand. You know, like, it's, it's, um, it's interesting because, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm a composer and, you know, and, and one thing, even up until this point, you know, I was, I'm very reluctant to be kind of pigeonholed. Like, I mean, I have many interests. I mean, my, my first, 
my first, when I started as an undergrad, I was actually a physics major, you know, so, and, and astronomy has always also been a big thing. So I have this broad science background and that was really my, my focus, you know, and, and, you know, and I like a lot of different themes and I, I, as a composer, I just don't, I don't want to be kind of pigeonholed into like, oh, he's, he's black. So he can only deal with subjects that are black centered or, you know, um, have black, um, uh, story, have to tell only black stories or things about black lives. Um, but you know, it, one thing that's happened, of course, in this country is like all of these, you know, I mean, you know, I talk about Ferguson and being, you know, the idea of the police brutality, but of course it's been going on so, 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 so long, you know, that the idea of, of systemic oppression and injustice mm-hmm. and, um, and, you know, it's, it's something that just the more and more that I live in this, you know, in the country is more and more, I feel like, you know, I need to tell these stories. These are things that aren't, like you said, they aren't really centered in classical music, um, contemporary music necessarily. And um, I wanted to, that was one kind of inspiration is like, okay, well, I, I need to kind of tell some of these stories um, or some of these focuses and give humanity to some of these things that a lot of times in public discourse, you know, one thing I'm always struck with when you, when there's a police shooting or some kind of violence uh, that happened um, that the victim, the, the person who is like, for example, Michael Brown, you know, who's been killed all of a sudden, all of these negative things are being brought up. Like, like, Oh, he was, stealing or he's a, you know, not necessarily Michael Brown, but like drugs or whatever it is. Yeah. The, the, the immediately you have this sort of negative connotation, like, well, then they deserved it kind of go in, you know, that's kind of in the background of that. And I kind of wanted to talk and bring out people's like, these are real people. They're humans. They have the same dreams and fears and hopes that anyone else would have. And, um, so I kind of thought about how that, how to, sh- to show those, those, that kind of humanity in these, the, you know, these victims or in, in these stories. And, and, you know, now, especially this, this year in the, the spring with the, all of the protests of George Floyd and then Breonna mm-hmm. Taylor, I mean, you start to see a little bit of change. I think now, you know, there's that whole spread of in Vanity Fair of, of Breonna Taylor and just showing how she's, um, you know, she had her dreams and hopes. She was, you know, and I think that's uh, in, in many ways, the things that are the, the protest is, if that is bringing out any kind of change, that's one change that I see is very positive. And, and, you know, also that a lot more people, not just, you know, black people like the very first piece actually the the in, on in the grayland the, the people get tired of dying mm-hmm. there was a activist um henry dumas who a poet as well and he was killed by the transit police in the 60s you know and um I, there's always been like questions like what happened what is the issue like why did that happen no one really has a clear answer um but you know it's that the idea of but of course, even when he was killed, it was just the same story of, well, he 
was doing this or this is this is the person he is this bad person he deserved it kind of kind of coverage and you know that i mean that's the 60s and you still, still yeah. have that kind of thing happening you know and um you know i think uh if anything has happened excuse me this summer uh, or the spring and summer with the protests is that now you know back then it was sort of the coverage and like let's say the Henry dumas was the you know it would be the people who were clamoring for the just for justice were mostly, you know, black activists or, or citizens, and not really getting any traction or, or, or with other people. And today, you see that, you know, with a protest, I mean, there's so many all kinds of people actually protesting and actually finally understanding that. I mean, it's sad that it, you know, they, you could see it now with the protests, and all of a sudden, all of these. The police are attacking the white protesters, and it's like, well, yes, of course, because that's what we've been talking about this for so long. This is what could, this is the natural progression of, you know, just you know, it's going to affect you at some point. And so now a lot of people understand that, and I think if 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 that's what comes of whatever the things that happen this summer, spring and summer then I, you know, I think it's worth it. And then you start, like I said, with Brianna Taylor and the, her coverage, I think it's, it seemed a little bit different than normal, you know? And so maybe, maybe that's some kind of progress. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know. Um, but in classical music, of course, because of all the protests too, this, this spring and summer, everyone is looking, re rethinking about their own, <laughs> whether it's programming or who's on the board of whatever organization or, mm -hmm. Um, and everyone's kind of trying to figure it out and whether it's something that's a real sincere call for change in that organization or, um, I, I believe there's some are sincere and really are like looking at in their, in what their practices are and, and really are trying to change. And then I think there are a, a number of others, many others who are just, just like, well, this is, we need to do this because, you know, this is what's happening right now, but they're not really, you know, it's more kind of window dressing to the, to, you know, yeah, we'll play it, program a couple more women and black composers and, you know, then we're all good <laughs> when it's like, you know, the, the whole structure of, of classical music and, um, you know, can really need to look and see like in within and say, look, these, I mean, look at all of the great, the people who have not been programmed over the years, you know, like, uh, you know, as now, of course, is all the Florence Price is kind of big, you know, people are like, oh, she's so great. What? And we're like, well, she's always been there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, why haven't you programmed her? You know, like, I, I think now, if people, if this moment, and hopefully this moment of time where people are reevaluating what in classical music, what they're doing, hopefully they'll tell more kinds of stories. I think it's not not just because it's like, oh, we have to tell a black story or it has to be this pr perspective of women, but it's also, it's part of America. You know, it's part of these are, this is, if your if you're goal or mission in, to, is to bring the music to a wide, wider audience and help those people to appreciate this this music, then you should, I mean, there are more than Beethoven out there. <laughs> there's more yeah. than Brahms, you know, you know, and there's there's so much more that could be um, shared. And I think you would, if they take the resources and the and the commitment, 
they could really change. Uh, some of these organizations can really change um, who's first of all who comes to the to these concerts, you know, and who's who's in the concert hall, and also keep the the art viable for you know for the future. I mean, just like in in politics, there's a you know like you have the shortage of you know the Republicans are are appealing more and more to just one segment of the country, whereas that segment is getting smaller and smaller. Um, uh, and if classical music is just appealing to one kind of demographic, class class demographic and also racial dem- demographic, then either the, you know, they could just double down on that and hope that hope for the best or kind of expand and, sh- and show that there's great music everywhere. It's not just, you know, and it's coming from great from from many different sources, whether that be, you know, um, black and brown women. Um, it can be this. And yes, there's many, many white contemporary composers that are, are um, need to be heard as well. And so, you know, if you just kind of broaden that palette, I think you'll find greatness. And I guess maybe I shouldn't say greatness because that's the that's one of the problems is like you they feel like you have to be great but these incredible beautiful voices that um can be heard and, and are just as powerful as anything in the quote-unquote canon so as you were talking about that it made me you know like obviously this subject is so like multi-layered and i think of that kind of cliche of the onion and peeling the layers of the onion you know like as you were talking about not wanting to be you know, uh, specifically categorized as a black composer that writes black music. Um, it made me realize that the question that I even asked kind of centers whiteness again. You know, like you're you're a composer that tells stories about your experience, which people have been doing for for hundreds and hundreds of years, right? Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's not. It's just it. It just made me realize, like you know, each each layer of figuring out like how are we going to deal with race differently um, makes like reveals another layer of like, Oh God, <laughs> this is still, you know, like it, 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 it's not, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, you're, you're telling stories that deal with your experience just like people have always done. Um, and it, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean it's for a particular audience or you know i i i guess i'm i'm open, discovering things as i as i talk so yeah, yeah yeah no i mean it's like when you what you're saying is like the idea of what I, um you know you tell the you know i was thinking of this the other day i was just kind of doing work in the house or something and, and i was thinking about you know for years and years you know you had like, let's say you had novels you know you, you you read faulkner or any contemporary novelist or a playwright and it might be kind of, you know, the characters might be white, but you don't think of it as white, you know, quote unquote, white story. Yeah, You yeah. think of it as like, this is just a human, like, this is like, it, it, everyone has these kind of emotions. Everyone can kind of relate to what's he might be taught or, or can maybe find a way into whatever he, whatever story or character he's bringing out. And, you know, when you get a lot of times when you get to black stories or black, like say it's a movie or whatever. And then there, all of a sudden people are like, I can't, that's just a black story. I can't, how can I, how can I be <laughs> like, like think about Toni Morrison there. Like maybe people, maybe she's a bad example because people, a lot of people like her, but, but let's just say like people maybe 
have resistance to getting into something by Toni Morrison because, oh, that's a black story. I, I can't really understand what's what's happening. Where as, you know, like me as a black person reading, reading or a person, let's just say, reading Faulkner, I can relate. Like, even though I'm not, that's not me. I could, many of the emotions that come out or the stories I can, I can sort of broaden myself and see myself in those characters. And why can't the broader, you know, when it's a story that's centered on black or brown faces, you know, how can you not reach out and see the same kind of humanity? I mean, when we read, read uh, Yompa Lahiri's stories, I mean, you know, I don't hear people say, oh, that's an Indian story. I can't quite relate. Yes, there might be things you might not quite, you know, it might be more culturally appropriate, but it doesn't mean the underlying feelings or what the characters have are not relatable. And so I guess like in classical, you know, in music, classical music, um, the idea that, you know, I mean, before it was always like, oh, the February happens. Okay, let's get the black composers. Or like, let's, let's program William Grant still. And this is the time to tell those stories. Um, and then forgetting about it in <laughs> the rest of the year, you know. And, and whereas, you know, it should be something that's just part of the, the firmament. You know, you, you just program it because it's one is good. And two, it tells these things that stories or focus or um, ideas that everyone could relate to. And especially if you, you know, Maybe this is where if you're a classical organization and you don't have any kind of black and brown faces on the you know boards or whatever whoever's in charge of programming whatever, you know you don't know how to tell those how to bring those stories to an audience and say, "Look, these are not just black stories. these are not just it's not just a a women thing it's 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 about being human, you know and everyone has these emotions and and can relate. And if they can tell these, if they can kind of bring those out to uh, to, a, to other people and let them see that, look, it's not just you know, you can get you can find your way in. Just like I have, I find my way in to whatever white centered story that. Um, then then you start to you can see that it's it is about. <laughs> It's not just one thing. And then, you you know, you start to broaden the, the palette a little bit and not because it's, you know, the, the, the flavor of the month. And um, but it's just what what's right. That's what you should be doing in the first place, <laughs> you know. And it's almost as if those like, you, you know, you were saying they pulling out black composers in February keeps keeps the cycle happening you know like keeping like oh this is the mm -hmm. special month where we do the the special kind of music that's different from what we do the rest mm -hmm. of the year um when what really needs to happen is just music and and making having a diverse collection of music and composers and performers always yeah, you know, one thing I like I'm I, right now, I mean, you know, the, the, the Grayland, but I'm working on another opera. It's actually a cycle based on the 1619 project. Um, and Tanahasi Coates is um, the case for reparations. Well, that's an, it was inspired by that, but it's not about those things. Um, but I've been doing a lot of reading, like there's just research, like for this, you know, because it's basically the operas expand. It's it's from 1619 to, you know, to, um, it'll go into the future. These, the cycles of, uh, the cycle goes into the future. So, 
Uh, I've been very fascinated by all of these stories that are in history that you don't even like there. This is how we became where we are now, but they're just like, whether they've been forgotten, ignored. Um, and I'm, I'm not even just talking about, you know, the sort of centered on black experience, just all sorts of little <laughs> things that have happened um, that bring you to where you are today. And, you know, I'm hoping like with the, with the cycle that I'm telling some of these, these stories, um, not in the sense of like, okay, well, you know, I, I think the whole thing with the 1619 project where people are like, you can't, you can't reframe history. You can't say this, um, but this is what happened. You know, like the idea that his, history has been centered, like there's history has been centered on one viewpoint as the white viewpoint. Um, I mean, in history is all is one thing I've from reading is that history is always kind of changing <laughs> and moving um, its parts, you know, and, and who's telling that history is how a lot of times that becomes what the, the, the main story is, the storyline yeah. is. And even, and even though there are all these other stories that actually have, are maybe even more interesting, <laughs> you know, so then you start thinking, well, why this story came, why does this tale of, of how we became who we are is the main tale and not these other little parts, which are actually really what had, what has happened. So I'm finding that, you know, like in music, you could, you, I mean, you could even say the same thing. There's so many things that were, why didn't these people get to be, you know, I mean, people talk about the, the especially lately, the Nina Simone. I mean, of course she was, she wanted to be a classical pianist, you know, and why she wasn't able to be, I think, I think it was Curtis or some conservatory she couldn't get into, or maybe they wouldn't allow her in. Um, and then you think, okay, well, what, what if she could have been in, you know, what if it, then what is this, what kind of opportunity do you think about all the other people whose opportunities never happen because of the way the systemic environment has not allowed them to be part of this, you know, and just, there's so many things that, you know, then you kind of question history itself and, you know, the idea of the meritocracy, you know, this is very much so in the classical world where, well, if it's good, if it's great, it's going to be heard, you know, like, but that's not, <laughs> that's not the, the case. You know, like you, you find that some things get pushed up just because for whatever random reason and some things don't get heard. You know, I mean, what, for Florence Price was in the 30s, 40s? I mean, why are now most people, you know, and even so, I think she had, she was premiering on the what, Chicago Symphony. So she had something back in the 40s. But why didn't we keep hearing about her, you know, through, through time? And, and, you know, so it makes me think about, all in this research for this the new opera cycle, it's like it make, it's making me think more about how uh, classical music is is being, you know, who whose voices are heard, and whose voices don't get heard, um, and why. And you know that goes back to what we were saying earlier about you know this moment of time and the protest, and maybe and people are some people are being very sincere about. Well, let's let's fix this, you know, and 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 not because it's you know again not because it's the the moment, but because it's the right thing. And um, I'm hoping, you know, you, you get. I mean, I've talked to some of my other friends, uh, composers, musicians who are who also are black or brown, and it's like, well, 
people keep calling us or emailing us now. Like all of a sudden we're getting like people are interested <laughs> in, in what we're doing, you know, and it's like, it's funny. Like I, I, think, I think I put up some, it was on a tweet. I, I saw this meme about like, the meme was like, Oh, where have you been? Like, Oh, this is great. You know? And, and the, the meme was like, well, I've been here. You're late. I'm here. I've been, I've already <laughs> been here. You know, like, I'm like, yeah, we've all, we've been here, you know, and, and in many ways I'm glad I'm very happy that people are interested. And in, if that's the way, to get people to realize, hey, hmm, maybe, maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe we could, we, we should be looking at these people. Um, and I think that's, that's great. But it's also, again, we've been here. <laughs> I yeah. mean, hello, you know, like, so it's always a, a struggle, I guess struggles, maybe it's the wrong word. I mean, it's hard anyway, just as a composer, whether you're black or brown or white, I mean, it's, it's hard to get people to notice <laughs> you, you know, I get, I get, you know, and having it as a doubly hard where we, you're not, I mean, I, a while ago, I wrote a couple of years ago, I wrote a blog post about opportunity and how there was a story in, in the, I said, related this in my, in my post about um, Bear McCreary. He was a um, composer, uh, well, he is a composer. He did the the Battlestar Galactica, the new, the reboot um, TV series. I feel so I've when, heard when his he name, did, and I'm trying to like place it. Sorry to interrupt you. Was he also? Yeah, no, he, was he also The Walking Dead? Or am I imagining that? He might have been. I see. Because he's now subsequently done a bunch of other things. So he's okay. been. Yeah. So, so he's. But when when the Battlestar Galactica thing happened, he was 24, and so he. So in the story, it's, he he's ta- he tells like okay. He was a like a high school student in um, Washington State, and he went to this uh, Rotary. He was like the student of the month, for the, and the Rotary, they had a celebration for the Rotary Club or Lions Club or something. And so he was there, and and he was just mingling with people, and and they you know they knew who what he was, why he was there, and he was a composer. And he came across a guy and who was there, and the guy said, "Well, do you, do you know Elmer Bernstein?" And he's like, yes, of course. And so, so he got connected to Elma Bernstein, and he was like his assistant for a little while. And then, subsequently, he got this this gig with no credits. Like he had never done anything, TV, movie, any nothing. He, so all of a sudden, he has this big TV contract um, to do it. And of course, his trajectory kind of went from there. And in my post, I said, re, you know, I related the story, and then I said. I can't even imagine a 24 year old black or brown kid with no credits, <laughs> you know, getting this kind of opportunity, you know? And I said, even if they knew Elma Bernstein, I can't, I, it's just like, it's kind of hard to fan fathom that this can happen, you know? And so when you talk about like the idea of meritocracy and like, well, of course you're going to be, you know, the great music gets rises to the top. Well, here's a case where, you know, he just had, he was just in the right time in the right place and was able to have this, this be in the same, in the circle that allowed him to find someone who also was in the circle with Elmo Bernstein, who also was able to relate to him to, to get this gig, to start his trajectory, you know, and, and many other composers don't have that kind of opportunity, or even if they do, don't always have the same kind of chances that someone like Bear McCreary gets. And, so I see, you know, in this time, hopefully, you know, people are starting to see that opportunity is one way to help give 
I mean, because who knows? Like, what, what about that black or brown kid who gets that opportunity when they're younger and then they can become just as good as anyone else, you know? And, um, and so I think this moment that we talked about in the spring and summer um, with the protest, I think, think can help <laughs> maybe shine some light and, and bring more opportunity. And maybe that's another way to sort of in the long run, you know, change the 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 classical music terrain. And so you'll start to see more and more different kinds of voices who should be heard and giving them and giving them those opportunities and continuing to give them those opportunities so they can develop and to be their fullest self, like someone like Brad McCurry was able to do, um, you know, so that's what I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> least, you know. And we have to, we all have to stay on it. You know, there, there's been a big push of, people that that I'm trying to keep my eye on you know myself in like in terms of race and all the things that need to change in the country you know I I I have a fear that now that president 45 has been you know lost the election that a lot of liberal white folks are going to be like okay we did it and then <laughs> not <laughs> not keep fighting because there's still we got we got a lot of work to do. Uh, so I don't mm-hmm. I, I think I'm saying that for the benefit of people who are listening. Like, come on, guys, we got to keep it going. Well, you know, it's funny. When I was in 2009, I, I went to the inauguration for Barack Obama. So it was, I mean, I'm from DC, so I was it was just easy to go down and visit my mom and, and things. Um, and so we all went, and I was, uh, you know. I was nowhere near the stage. I was like, we were way back, <laughs> back to at the at the Washington Monument. If you know, if you know Washington, and you can see way, 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 way down there's the Capitol. But they had screens, and, um, so we so we could see. Um, and I was actually, it was actually very a beautiful moment because you were all kinds of people. You could feel the hope of you know here we are finally with our history. We're electing this. We're electing a black um, president. And, you know, and I, me, I mean, I was, you know, very happy because I can never imagine, I didn't imagine that growing up that it would actually happen um, in my lifetime, at least. Um, And, but I also was resigned. Like, I always just thought, no, this isn't the end. He's just, this is just like, his election is just kind of like the beginning of trying to fix the issues, you know, and whereas I think a lot of people, maybe even in the audience, were like, yes, we did it. All right, it's done. Like you were just saying, like, okay, it's done. We did it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you, you saw all these articles about post-racial thing. And like, I'm like, no, <laughs> no, the problems are way deeper than, you know, it's not going to be solved by just electing one black president. As we can see now, you know, these last four years, I mean, all of that stuff that's been going on, all of those the racial animosity. I mean, even during his time, you could see that's that was there. Like it was even, it, you know, the sort of resistance to him and his policies and just, um, and now that I'm, you know, from my research with the 1619 cycle, I can see, I mean, I just read, recently I just read a book about reconstruction. So it appeared just after the civil war and, um, Many of the exact, you know, once the Civil War happened and once, you know, the the sort of progress that was starting to happen where you have post-racial, um, uh, not post-racial, sorry, um, uh, biracial government 
and governments and people are starting to work together, there was a backlash, like immediate, like just uh, not only um, politically, but violently against trying to allow equal um, rep, um, representation or equal power in in society. And of course, then, you know, that that kind of ended Reconstruction in the 1890s. And then from there on, you get all the Jim Crow laws, that, you know, and, you know, it took another half century or more to, to sort of eradicate at least the, the political and legal framework of, of Jim Crow. So when Barack Obama was elected, you know, it's like you almost can see that that was going to be the backlash was going to happen. And um, not only does it, you know, and, and then, of course, these last four years, we, we see it. Um, and as you said, it's, it's it's work. You have to actually keep it, keep the momentum. And it's not only, excuse me, it's not only work, but it's also just the will <laughs> and courage to say, a lot of people might not want to do this, but this is the right thing. This is the better, the, this is the way forward. So we need to do it. And, you know, a lot of the problems today could have been solved back in reconstruction if the wheel was there to sort of say, look, no, we are going to, the right thing to do, you know, is to, to curb this, these, you know, violent overthrows of, of government or, or intimidation of people trying to vote. And, and it's hard. It is, you know, you have to actually, <laughs> you have to have that will. Um, and so some of these issues could have been solved back in the 1870s, 80s, 90s, um, but weren't. And so now we get kind of the same issues, you know, in more modern guys now. And if it's not, if people don't have the will, courage to and, and the ability to work to change it, even against the, the idea of people resisting because there's always going to be resistance and just like in classical music I'm sure there's always resistance well what about Beethoven we can't get rid of Beethoven we can't get rid of Brahms what 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 you know like you hear people and it's not like you don't I mean I love I love Brahms I mean I, I want to I, I mean I don't know all of his music so I'm happy to, to hear it um it's not saying you don't want to hear those those themes it's all it's saying that we'll hear these other voices who are just as important <laughs> yeah and um we you they can coexist i mean it's like you can't sometimes people can't um wrap their mind about like having two actual things at, at once you know like you know you can still love Brahms, you can still do you know contemporary music they still can be great they both can exist in the same <laughs> same world you know um uh i think you know like you said if people really take the will and I, I, in many ways i think it's more the will and courage to do the right thing um uh that and having someone or some people to say we're this is what we're going to do <laughs> and um and then eventually people will will hopefully follow you know uh, well i think they I, actually know they will follow it's just you just have to to make the have that will. And so you're right. I think people have to continue to work and maybe that's what happened. Well, no, I was going to say that maybe that's what happened between uh, Obama and now, but I think it's more, um, it's, it's funny reading history. A lot of the, the, you know, the reconstruction was very 
I mean, things were working. It was, I mean, it was hard, you know, people were having disagreements, but it was working. And it was like a kind of a slow, gradual lessening of political will and courage to actually keep it going, you know. And I, you find that same kind of thing happening today where people just don't want to just get scared, maybe, <laughs> or don't feel like they want to have that that capital of, of putting their neck out and saying, look, this is the right thing. We need to do this. Um, it's just easier not to do it, you know. So I'm hoping, like you said, if people continue to work at it and, and have the will, that it truly will be a permanent change and not just the, you know, this is what's happening in the next two years and then, you know, go back to normal, you know, Beethoven 24-7, you know. Uh. <laughs> it's, I, I love that. Well, I don't love it. I, I appreciate that that idea, and and I see it a lot too. That people are like, well, but but I like Beethoven. I like Brahms. <laughs> yeah, cool. Like we're gonna keep doing that too. We don't have to, you know. I think, and and maybe that's like a response to this feeling of, uh, this like this being used to like, oh well, but that's music, and I don't want black music to take over. No, like mm-hmm. it's all music and we don't have to mm-hmm. get rid of any of it. This is just including mm-hmm. more in what we, we look at. But it's, I don't know, or I, th- I feel like, uh, and, and I'm like speaking just, just from my own experience as a white person, <laughs> like there's this mm-hmm. level of like having to recognize privilege. Like I feel like it's such a kind of catchphrase lately, but, I, but you have to recognize, oh, I'm benefiting from this. And then work through like how shitty it feels to realize like, oh, maybe I'm not as post-racial as I thought I was. And then <laughs> you have to do the work and like mm-hmm. get over it and like try to bring everyone else with you. So I'm going to keep yeah. trying. <laughs> I'll so, keep doing good. the work. Yes. <laughs> That's good. That's great. You know, and I think, you know, people think, you know, it's, it's, it's um, you know, I'm a teacher as well. I teach in, in uh PS321 in, in Park Slope. So, oh, um, I, I live so close to there. Oh, you do? Yeah, we used, that's where we were, we were living, right around the block from the, from the school for a while. Until um, now I'm on sabbatical. But, um, uh, so, I, so at our school, you know, we do, I teach kindergarten music. So we, you know, the school itself is really, it's great. I mean, of course, the, the idea of the neighborhood has changed over the years. Our principal has been there about 30 years or so. She used to have... She was a parent before she became a teacher and then the principal, the principal. And um, uh, the neighborhood, the school used to be a Title I school uh, for a while, uh, for, for a long while. And then it became this kind of, you know, it, it became good because of, from the previous principal. And so then the neighborhood started to change around this and all of a sudden it wasn't sort of Latina and, and um I mean, I guess it was always kind of some wealth there, but but then the demographics changed in the school, you know, and uh, so you know now um, the you know the people in the school, like the sort of staff and things, recognize how you were talking about privilege and and up, um, uh, recognize that you know there's a lot of privilege in the neighborhood, and then the kids who come to the school, you know. Um, but there are there's still kids who don't have those op- those opportunities who are in the school as well, you know, and and it's a benefit to the uh, to the 
the administration who recognizes this. And we all, we're always doing kind of work on um, racial um, equity and, and um, so very conscious of where we, where they are, you know, because it's predominantly now it's, I think it's like something like 75% white kids who go mm-hmm. to the school, you know, the staff is mostly white. Um, but they recognize that, you know, I mean, and this is coming from the administration because you know, especially the principal, um, whose husband actually is a professor at Fordham, um, in African-American studies. So she understands like, look, yes, I mean, I think we're the perfect that our school is a perfect example because of because we don't have to do they don't we don't have to do any of that because there's you know, but they recognize as 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 a as a citizen of the the world, you know, there are other people who don't have those these privileges, and so the school is always doing work. We're always doing kind of you know as a, for professional development or whether or book clubs that we read different things um, about how it really takes work from the white you know, um, <clears throat> power privilege structure to help change um, uh, what's going on. And, you know, I think that, and this is also coming from my reading from the, for the, the opera cycle is it's really, when you talk, we start talking about um, where people live, you know, like, you know, and just how that affects what kind of opportunities they have and, and, what kind of education they may have, um, you know, it becomes really a difficult subject of, okay, well, how are you going to address that? Because, you know, yes, there's, you can put the little band-aids on it or window dressing or think, hey, um, I'm doing the right thing by, I guess I'm going to go back to the classical thing. I'm doing the right thing by programming. We're programming black composers all, you know, we're doing our thing. You know, we're, you know, we're programming women composers, you know, we we're we're diverse, you know, and 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 that's kind of is a substitute for actually doing the real hard harder work, <laughs> which is um, the idea of who has the power, who has the, the economic resources, and and then who and then how is that going to be addressed uh, equitably? It doesn't mean it has to be equal; it has to be equi- equitable, you know, and. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's the really hard work. I mean, it's really easy to do some of these things, you know, like, you know, like going back to classical music of putting out a statement and saying we're for racial justice, social justice. That's easy, you know, but the idea of, okay, well, who's, who's on your board? Like, and not only that, it's like, who, who do you associate with? <laughs> yeah. Like, like, you know, and is your, where do you live? Do you live in just the all mostly white neighborhood? Like, because of course that affects who you associate with. And it, I mean, it's like everything's all tied together. But in the, the harder part, the hard part is, is at some point, those, the people who have the, who are in positions of power and, and privilege are going to have to reckon with the idea that something has to give. And, you know, there's a point there's, I think a lot of times you said uh, like white liberals, um, <clears throat> you know, they're fine to, to the, with calls of race, social justice or racial justice. But then when you all of a sudden say, and this is going back to the education in school where like there was a whole thing in New York where in middle school, 
um, at least in the District 15, which is where the Park Slope, uh, the PS321 is. Um, it, they, I think it was two years ago, they so, so all of a sudden gate got, got rid of the testing to get into certain middle schools. So it was just kind of lottery. So you just apply and then um, that's how you get into whatever middle school. This is a way to help address some of the issues of, of um, having different kinds of uh, diverse people in schools, not just racially, but economically as well. And it was a, like, it was like World War Three. Like people were like, "You can't do that. No, how do you get rid of testing?" And all of a sudden, all these things come out. And these are white liberals who live in Park Slope. Like they're all of a sudden, you're t you're asking them, like, it was it was a, <laughs> I mean, to the district's credit, they went ahead and did it. You know, they did the this lottery proposal, and the world didn't didn't crash. <laughs> people are still doing their. You know, people can still get into great schools. You know, and and still have. And that's the thing, like people, like when you do something like this, where you like help try to sort of lay the field for good for everyone. And then certain people have that NIMBY attitude of, well, you can't not, not here. And then if you, and once it happens, the world doesn't fall there. There's kids, their kids are going to be all right. <laughs> like no matter what's going to happen, you know, like they're, they're going to be fine, you know, um, yeah. cause they already have all these opportunities. Here's a way to help other people have the same kinds of opportunities. Um, and, you know, I, you know, it's, it's not to say that the, uh, the lottery thing with the middle schools have been, um, haven't had any issues, but they, but the idea that all of us, like the sort of resistance all of a sudden, because, you know, the, from the liberal white parents, mostly, um, you know, you, that's kind of a proxy, like in a way of, when you actually really get down to the hard changes <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. and the sacrifices, what, what are people going to, are they really willing to do that? And, um, you know, the, the debates out on some, some issues. And so I think, you know, I mean, what was it? I think there was that uh, Dr. Martin Luther King quote about white liberals and that's kind of the bait. I don't even remember it now, but it's like something about, um, they're the kind of the, uh, they're kind of hold, hold like it's hard to get them to change <laughs> kind of kind of um i think that was the gist of the quote and and so yeah if you know doing the work is great um but there's a point where you know the stuff's going to hit the fan and you got to make a decision <laughs> um <laughs> yeah it, it might mean losing i, I mean people always worry about what they're going to lose. And I think just in my history reading, it's like, it's a lot of white anxiety about losing something or, you know, we can't have blacks living next to us, you know, kind of thing in this, you know, forties and fifties and sixties, because what's going to happen. We can't have them go to school with our, you know, our pristine white kids can't go to school with those black kids, you know, like, um, and there's all this anxiety um, and fear um, and, and, when something like that, when some big change happens and, and um, instead of thinking about what you lo might lose or not have or not be centered any longer, no one thinks, very few think about what they're gaining, you know, and if, if you're living in a society that sort of is supposedly for everyone and helping because not helping someone else helps you in a way if you 
if you want to think of it that way. Um, instead of just thinking of, well, what I'm, uh, I have to have what I have, or I'm going to, I can't lose what I have, you know, um, instead of thinking of the larger picture, then maybe it'll be something, um, maybe with the work, maybe that will change this time. I, you know, I'm, I'm always hopeful. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm also skeptical of uh, <laughs> yeah. true, true change, but, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. I hate to wrap this up, but oh my gosh, we've been talking for a long time. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, great. Yeah, but I love it. Like the conversation has been so good and all these things that, I mean, are vitally important for us all to be thinking about and discussing. Um, I want to play one more track from um, the piece. Um, I should have been a motherfucking black mamba. Um, <laughs> as, as much as we've been, I hate to say, is there like a, a nutshell version of like the backstory to this piece? Because I want to make sure we talk about it, but... I know. I yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I can tell you. Yes, it's very, it's very easy. Like, um, so um, the idea is uh, in uh, Kill Bill, the volume, the first one. Um, there's a scene where um, the Uma Thurman uh, and Vivica Fox are fighting. You know, like in the house, and then um, the daughter comes home from school, and so that like, all of a sudden they're, oh, I can't, we can't fight anymore, and so they're like, okay, let's go to the. Uh, the kitchen and let's have some coffee <laughs> and so they're sitting there talking about their time in the in the the assassin group and um there's a point where Vivica Fox says um I should have been black mama you know like and just kind of her frustration of like she should have been like the one she's just as good as Uma Thurman and she and she's not getting her respect or um um you know the top billing of the black mama uh, and so I thought that was a perfect, like, um, term or uh, to use for the the Grayland because this this piece is about, um, um, you know, that idea of, of people, um, black people, like having these opportunities, like if they had the opportunities, um, they could do just as much as anyone else, you know, um, and it, the piece is a little different than any other the pieces in the in the in the opera, one because it has a kind of a electronic drum track, but it's also um, this kind of joyous celebration of of being black. And and this is one of the pieces that will be choreographed. There's a couple in the opera that are has, have dance chore, chore, um, choreography, and this one has um, it's based on the black stepping, the kind of um, black fraternity sorority. Um, dance that they use and it's just really a celebration of 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 being black and and um so i thought that term was was just <laughs> in the movie was great it was like perfect once i re i had re-watched the the movie um and i was like oh yes yeah that that's that's it <laughs> and so so that's what that's the, that's what that piece is, um that scene is all about uh, well, we'll give it a listen after um, I thank you for being on the show and you let us know where the best place to find you online is. Uh, my website, numinousmusic.com, uh, and that has links to you know all sorts of my other compositions and video and all sorts of things. And, and of course, I'm on Twitter and, and Instagram, um, same thing, Numinous Music, and, and uh, you, know, you can see what I do. 
Ah, uh, I love it. There's so much we we could still talk about. We'll have to do this again. <laughs> yeah, I would love to. That would be great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's funny because we talk about the you know it's more of the societal issues and not necessarily the actual music issue. You know, like the the album issue. But but that's I mean that's what the album comes from. All of this. The yeah, things we talked about. So yeah, that's great. Yeah, I love it. Uh, well, thanks for being on the show. Well, thank you so much, Michael, and, and uh, thank you to everyone for listening.
from Joseph C. Phillips Jr.'s The Grayland. That was I Should Have Been the Motherfucking Black Mamba. This was a great show. <laughs> this was longer than usual, um, but I think for good reason. I loved having this conversation. So much of this stuff we got to be talking about more and uh, it's the, one of the things that's been great about the podcast is that it's given me the opportunity to have some of these conversations. Um, and I'm going to continue to keep having conversations about race. I hope you will do the same thing, especially as it applies to art and I know our lives. So um, uh, thank you, Joe, if you're uh, listening, I think you are, uh, for having this conversation, for your music and what... <laughs> I just loved this. I, I always listen to the whole conversation again and edit, clean things up a little bit. Um, so I'm a little bit like, what? <laughs> I just really loved it. So I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. And that's really it. If you like this podcast, will you tell a friend? You could also leave a review at uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. I think you could leave it there. Or Stitcher, any of the places you could leave a review. You can always join me on Patreon, patreon.com slash Michael Heron. And um, on Wednesday, there will be a bonus podcast there, a longer conversation <laughs> with Joe. And um, it's, not, it's not a super long one, but it's more sort of in-depth um, personal talk. So I hope if you're a patron, you'll be sure to check that out and um, the all the other bonus podcasts. And I think that's it. Have a great week and I'll see you all next week. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.